actually, the, um, today is a little bit of a part two, um, like following up on, on last week. Um, before last week, uh, when I, I told my wife what I want to speak about. Um, we concluded that what I want to say uh, will not fit into one preach. So last week was actually kind of part one. I'll just quickly tell you guys what I said on last, last week for those of you that aren't there. So there's, there's three verses in Hebrews 3, two in Hebrews 3 and one in Hebrews 4 that says, the, this is the word, it says, hold on. And there's three different things that we need to hold on. The first thing is hold on to this hope. And I think that that kind of come out today as well. Hold on to the hope that the work that Jesus has started, that he will complete. He will complete it if, and there's this condition, if we hold on to this hope. And the problem is we let go of the hope, and that seems to be a disqualifier if we no longer hold on to the hope. Jesus will complete his work if we hold on. I'm getting excited just on the recap here. Let's <laughs> calm down. <laughs> the, the, um, the second one was to hold on. Hold on to the confidence. And so there is the confidence that God will do what he say. And what happens is, as I stand away, we lose hope. Uh, we, lose, we lose the confidence that we had at first. And then the last one was hold on to the confession. Confession, that's mean. The Greek word is homologio. It's the same word. Hold on to the word of God. And when things are going tough, suddenly our word became the same as our circumstances. Our word became the same as what we see and as what the enemy whisper instead of to hold on to the word that the Lord has. And so that was the word is that we need to hold on. Makes things simple, huh? But today we have a different word. It's in Hebrews 6, verse 1. And I want us to quickly look at that one. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ led us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation, and he gives them the foundational doctrines there. Right. It's a different word, isn't it? Very different. Last week we were holding on, and uh, this week, or in Hebrews 6, he moves us on to a place where he says, press on. The problem sometimes of the church is there's sometimes a lot of words on pressing on, and people have not learned how to hold on to Jesus, all right? And the order is important here. As we know the work of the Lord, as we have our eyes on him, we hold on. But there will have to come a time that we press on. And now, who needs to press on? That's the question. So, we will go to the explanation before the therefore. It's important. When there's a therefore, we need to know what's before the therefore in order to understand why the therefore is there. All right. Hebrews 5, verse 11. Let me just say, the, the writer is writing. Hebrews is 13 chapters. It's 13 chapters, all in all. And he gets to chapter 5, and he's explained certain things now, as we said last week, holding on, we've got this high priest, Jesus, and so on. And then in chapter 5, suddenly the writer says, I want to speak to you guys now about the priesthood of Melchizedek. 
How many of you have heard the regular sermons of the priesthood of Melchizedek? Right? And then he says, as he gets to that, he says, I need to go on now and explain to you guys about the priesthood of Melchizedek. It's very important. You need to understand it. And then he comes suddenly to this conclusion. He says, concerning him, the priesthood of Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull in hearing. Now, I want to tell you the challenge that this guy, some would say Paul, you know, so let's, let's I don't know, let, let's settle with Paul. I, I feel good if it's Paul. So, so say, say, for instance, we give the guy a name, we say, Paul says, concerning him, concerning the priesthood of Melchizedek, we've got much to say. But it's hard to explain because you guys have become dull in hearing. Now, every church of all time for the last 2,000 years have this challenge. In fact, guys, I want to tell you, I'm going to let you in into my challenge. And I've seen there is without exception, there is this challenge that's in front of church leaders and before every church. You want to go further in the Lord. You want to go deeper in the Lord. And you realize, if I would go deeper now, I'm going to lose half the congregation. And so, that is the question. That's the question that you'll find in any church. Church building, handbook, quest, how to get everybody along and everything that goes with. And this guy... Paul then, we say, uh, um, had the same issue. I have kind of played in the shallow waters up till chapter 5. I want to go and just dive a little bit deeper and to speak about the priesthood of Melchizedek that you guys are obviously all familiar with. So it wouldn't be a problem here. But he wanted to go deeper now. And as he wanted to go deeper, he realized, if I go deeper now, I'm going to leave half of the church behind. And so I will tell you when 90% of the church settles, they settle in the shallow water. For in case we don't bring everybody through, or we lose those that won't understand. And I have to say that has become quite a noble idea that that's the way that you go about. Let's say it is Paul. You know what Paul does? From this, from this moment on, he goes, screw this. Screw this, I'm going on. I can't do this anymore. I'm going deeper. We're going to delve into the priesthood of Melchizedek. By the way, he does it now. For four, he's going to do it for four chapters. Chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. He's going to delve into the priesthood of Melchizedek. And flip, and then he goes into fifth year, and then he really wraps it up, right? And as it goes there, he knows that he's going to lose a lot of people. I, I sometimes have, like, I've struggled with the same issue so many times as well in my, in my walk. And, um, or even in ministry, realizing that you, you feel the temptation that you're going to become irrelevant. You feel the temptation that, oh, we're going to go too deep now. And most guys really don't want to go there. They just want to settle there. And somehow we all settle there as if that's the right thing to do. 
We're accommodating everybody. But Paul, you will see now, will stand up and give one fat rebuke to all the guys that will not be able to move on with him. And then he says, church, I'm moving on. Right. There's a very interesting story. Now, um, my hermeneutics, Saki is going to nail me off. I know it, I know it, I know it. My hermeneutics is going to be terrible in this situation. There they sit, Saki and Vian, all right? They, 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 but I, I, I'll, I'll say, we, we can, I, beforehand, disclaimer, it's terrible hermeneutics, but I feel like it's something that God has showed me. There's a part, I think Saki's already said it before, but there's a part, and I think it's John, John 20, where, um, where, Jesus has just been crucified. The disciples is waiting in the room. Oh, they're just not waiting in the room. They're mourning in the room. It's like they say they're dead. Jesus is dead. And then some of the woman comes into the room and says like, no ways. The, uh, um, something, there's a commotion there at the grave. Something has happened there. And then two guys, Peter and John, jump up and run to the grave. John doesn't refer to himself as John. He refers to them as the disciple that loves Jesus a lot. Now, to be fair, John is a couple of years younger than Peter. And so it seems like they all start running at the same time. And John, I still don't know why. And that's what I think. That's my, he feels the need to say, we ran at the same time, but I was faster than Peter and arrived at the grave first. He says it. I was like, of all the things, it's like of all the things. I mean, he says in the book, if you have to write of all the things that Jesus has done, there will not be enough books on the earth to record everything. There's just too much. And then he chose to put that part in. I mean, limited, limited. No, I can't let this part out. This needs, this needs to stick. That's like, all right. So, and then as they get to the grave, John stops. And then finally Peter arrives. <laughs> like uh, me jogging with some of the young guys. And as he gets to the grave, it says, John stood still, and Peter went into the grave. And then he saw that the grave was empty, and the cloths of Jesus was pulled up. And Peter was the first one to know that Jesus resurrected, jump out, and he just ran. And then only John went later in to see what has happened. So here is my what I felt God spoke to me out of it. He said to me, there's some blessing to go fast, but the greater blessing is to go deep. It's interesting, you know, when we have our quiet times in the morning. Can I ask you guys how you do it? For those of you that do it, right? You better do it. When you have your quiet time, do you go through it? I mean fast, do you do it to complete it, or you do it to discover? I've done both, and I still do both. I do it to complete it. I read through the Bible so fast, but I've missed discovery. I must to go deep. And there is some blessing to go fast, but the greater blessing is to go deep. 
and how much we want to be accommodating and relevant in the church. I'm not speaking to the world here. I mean, I'm speaking to the church. We are seriously, seriously rebuked. And you will hear now. He's going he's gonna to tune this. Seriously rebuked for a place of stagnation in the Lord. And so that the church at some stage just accommodate those that are dull in hearing and hard to understand. When you preach, now there's two different things. When you preach, use a vocabulary that everybody can understand. That's one thing. So I use words that we all understand. You don't have to use the gift of the interpretation of tongues. With some guys, you need it. You need it. They use words that none of us understand. It could just as well be preaching in tongues. I'm not speaking about that. I'm speaking of depth. Depth can be simple language, but we're going deeper. And in going deeper, we miss some people. We are encouraged here not to do that, but to press on. So, he says, concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I just want to say, you know, I couldn't have asked more for a better picture than Saul gave today. I couldn't have asked. I couldn't ask more what God has spoken to Saul yesterday. Remember when we just got saved? Remember when the Lord first gripped our hearts? It was the most beautiful thing ever. One prr in my direction. And I'm running. Oh, Jesus. It's a little bit longer down the line now. And I know how to respond, of course. Oh, 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 I've done that now, I know. But my heart is dull. It doesn't penetrate as it used to. It doesn't grip me as it used to. The music is playing, and there was a time when I would sit still and went to all my friends and go like, you haven't heard this. This is the most beautiful thing. It has changed everything. Where is someone to just, I'm the woman at the well that runs all the way back to Samaria and just say like, you must come and hear this. This is the most beautiful little thing that I've ever heard. There was that time. But I'm afraid. I might be one of the hundreds of thousands This is walking past that music. And it's not gripping me as it used to. I don't go like, ah, oh, and awe that I want to go and stop everybody and just say, come and listen to this. Is it as beautiful to you as it is for me? It's like when I just got saved. I remember I go to my friends and I'm like, I mean, do you hear this? I mean, I know we've done drugs together and we've done everything out there together and we had fun and it was, but this is different, guys. This is by far the most beautiful thing that I've ever heard. You need to hear it. And they're like, huh? Their spirits were dead. But now my spirit has gone dead. My hearing has become dull to the things of God. I remember when I just got saved. A discovery of God. I couldn't get enough of the Bible. There was something to discover in all the time. 
Guess what? I have not discovered everything of God. I haven't. But the drive for discovery has gone dull. That feeling of discovering just doesn't move me anymore as it used to. Now here's the challenge. And this is my discovery. The fact that I'm dull of hearing is my responsibility and it's not a work of God. Last year, couple of prophetic words came out that we will have revival or a visitation of God. Deep in my heart, I was so excited. Not even deep, it was, it was just, oh my God, this will be so cool. <laughs> it wasn't secretive. <laughs> and you know what, what, what was deep in my heart? Was he will revive my passion. You will make me feel as at first. Ah, oh, come and do it, Jesus. Come and visit us. And stir me as first. And God spoke to me. And He said to me, Your passion is a direct responsibility of you. What you give your heart for is what you will be passionate for. I would visit, but it won't change your passion. That's your responsibility. Guys, I hope this empowers you. You dull of hearing, the power is in your hands to change the dullness. No, I just hold on to the hope here. Jesus, come and change me. No. This is not the time for that. Galatians 6. Maybe we can read it. I think we have it there. We are not victims of the dullness of our hearings. We are not victims to the passionlessness of our hearts towards God. As much as I'm not a victim towards how hot my love burned for my wife. I give myself to it, it burns. I don't, it doesn't. Now, Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I want to tell you, just a quick exercise. What are you passionate for? You know it. I mean, just be honest with yourself. It's a thing that, that you do think about. I can see it on your Google account. Just give me a Google account. It's a thing if you just, what the heart is full of the mouth speak, that's what your conversation gravitates to all the time. It's not hard to find. It's the thing that you give your time for. Now let me tell you, your passion is something that you've created. 
Your passion is something that you've sowed into. You've sowed into it, and now you have a passion. Well done. If your passion is not for the Lord, it is because you didn't sow into that. If your passion is for the Lord, it's because you sowed to that passion. If you're dull in hearing, it means you've sowed your heart to other things. If you're sharp in hearing, it means you've sowed into the storm. You've decided to stand still at the violin. At first, it didn't move me, but I'm going to choose to just stand a little bit. I'm not going to rush off with everybody else. I'm just going to stand here. And as I stand, suddenly the passion and the music and the beauty of it gets restored. Oh, sorry, I'm busy. As if you were not busy when you met Jesus at first. It's amazing how the excuses grow. Jesus needs to set us free from being victims, really. All right. Sorry, if we can go back to Hebrews 5. Since you have become dull of hearing, verse 12. For though by this time, you, you, you hear the sigh? <laughs> you hear the sigh of let's, the writer of Hebrews? For by this time, you ought to be teachers. You have need again for, some of the te- for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Huh. Now, it's an interesting thing, you know, of what he would start off. And he says, by this time, some of you ought to be teachers. I wonder if he was writing so he didn't look at them face to face. But if he would stand in the room, I wonder what he would have done. Would he have gone and generically, some of you, or would he have started calling names? I'm tempted. I'm tempted. And say, who of you should have been teachers by this time? You should have been. You should have taken hold of what God has placed in your life. You should have been the excitement to help the people of God that they were at first have dulled down. And you've become very, very comfortable of just attending and being in church and get your little, I know, little bit of food for the week and all that type of stuff. But by this time, you ought to be teachers and help the body of Christ. You should have looked out for the young ones and pulled them through. You should have had something by this time to give, but you don't. Don't hold on here. This is not a time to hold on here. You should have pressed on. You should have given yourself to that which Jesus has given yourself, him for, and not allowed to become sluggish. There's something in us, and that's a good indicator. When something switches off in us and say, my Christian experience will not go to the extent that I give myself to be a teacher. Meaning, you understand what he means. It's more like a mentor. 
It's not like you preach at the pulpit sometimes. But it is in those that you are those. You are a mentor that helps the rest of the body. You are those that not only sit and receive week in and week out, but you are those that look out and bring and bring and give and help others to, to grow. If that thing is switched off, can't do that. <laughs> you need to press on. You need to get shaken out of that mold of how you saw your Christian life. That thing that burned at once that you so wanted to help the body. Oh, I don't know how it was, but when I'm six months saved, I'm six months ahead of the guy that just got saved. And even though I just have this little bit, that feeling that I could help somebody to just move this little bit, it's like, sorry, that's as far as I could bring you, but I've brought you somewhere. Wasn't it exhilarating? Wasn't it the most awesome thing ever that you could have helped somebody in the body? And somehow that thing has gone dull as well. And somehow I'm just fine by sitting out Sunday. At least I can listen to the sermons. The worship was great. <laughs> I really took something out of Sunday. Oh, man. Let the writer of Hebrews not get you into his hands. Luckily, he wrote a letter, eh? Can you imagine he puts it up there? <clears throat> For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed of the word of righteousness, for he is an infant that has got nothing to do with age, but is how you've grown up in the Lord. Verse 14, but solid food, and I'm not going to go too much into this verse, but solid food is for those who are mature, for, for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Can I just say, I just, I, I didn't plan to say something, but I'll say something on this. There's something to be said about this. I wanted to hear God. For me, um, when I just got into the church, this was quite a thing. I, 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 I was in this very prophetic church, and everybody the whole time says they heard God. So I was at some stage going, well, I don't, let me just try this as well. Okay, God, I'm ready. And it's crick, 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 crick. And I've tried so many times, and guys made it sound so like, look, all that you do is you just ask him and he'll speak. All right. Nothing. And after a while, I started realizing that some of the ways that people will explain I heard God is really unhelpful language because it doesn't sound like I would speak to Andre now. I had to kind of tune in my spiritual senses. And that tuning in took quite a lot of work because then I felt like I've got an unction. I've got something that I feel might be the Lord. How do I know whether it's the Lord? Well, you are like the guy that's in the boat and you need to step out of the boat. You know what's the challenge of stepping out of the boat? You can either walk on water or you drown. That's the options. There's the third option, to stay in the boat. Oh, when I stepped out and I walked on water and guys were like, oh, you heard God today. Went, well done. Wow, it really pierced the morning, you know. 
And then when you drown, people just say nothing. <laughs> but you know and they know. <laughs> you know. No, keep on trying, man. It's good. <laughs> but you know what? As I stepped out and as I risked, even if I drowned sometimes, my tuning was getting better. I've learned that that's not the Lord, and I've learned that is the Lord. It was like a language that I had to learn from beginning. Spiritual maturity belongs to those who by reason of use have practiced their spiritual senses. You want to stagnate? Just stay in the boat. It's safe there. Just stay in the boat. Now, that's what I was hoping. I was just holding on. Jesus is going to pull me out of the boat and just sit me onto the water. He didn't do that. It was this experience every time. But as I did it, every time, my spiritual senses became sharper and sharper, and I could discern what is God and what is not God. Oh, but it's hard, that Christianity, that risk type of stuff. Let's just sit in the boat a little while. Risk-free. Growing nothing. One thing that I've become sure, God will only be found on the water and never in the boat. <laughs> you will never find him in the boat. You will always find him in the water. God will only be found in faith. Anyway, let's move on here to chapter 6. Verse 1, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Now, um, Philippians 3, verse 13, Paul has very much a similar thing. Verse 12, sorry, verse 12, sorry, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained, all right? Even in course, maybe just a little bit, might say something similar to us today. Not that I've already obtained. And if you, and if you are, have you obtained, we will pray for you afterwards, right? Not that I've already obtained. Paul, the great apostle, Philippians is one of his last letters, makes a statement. Not that I've already obtained it, or already become perfect, but I Press on. Paul challenges me. Jesus challenges me. He's been serving God and he has, he has established so much in God. I mean, he's already marked the great apostle. He's already done all the things that he has done. And now he comes and he says, not that I've attained. Let me say this. I realize even me. He doesn't put it in that way, put it in a more humble way. It's like, I have not obtained. But there's still a mark for me. There's still something for me to discover in God. The pressing has not stopped for me. The burning to discover Him, the burning to walk into all has not grown done for me. I can tell you one thing, I still press on. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, 
I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Jeez, Paul. <laughs> I don't know if that's encouraging, but okay. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to lie, what lies ahead. You know what is one of the things that the enemy does? And I think it's his number one strategy to get the body to stop pressing on. He makes us victims. I can't press on. You don't understand the hurt in the church that I got. I can't press on. You do not know the relational sufferings that I got. I can't press on. You don't know. You don't know my circumstances and my situation. You don't know the difficulties that I go through. The devil loves victims. If you want to stay in the if you want to stay in the same place, just be a victim. Just have an excuse. Paul would go this thing, not that I've attained, but one thing I do, I refuse to be a victim. I refuse to have some sort of reason or excuse why I'm not going to press on. And we have spiritualized it and we have done all kinds of junk. Paul would make it so simple. I will not do that. I will refuse to let me have anything of my past, any excuse to touch me. Now, Paul is different, though. I mean, he's sure he had an easy life. <laughs> Look, I, I'm just saying, you know, left for dead, stone on the head. Then Paul goes to Jerusalem towards the end of his ministry. As he laid down his life for the Lord and the brothers, Paul gets in Jerusalem and a mob catches him. They put him before the court and they say, this man has taught us not to keep the law. Paul is all alone. The whole church of Jerusalem, that's a big church, <laughs> keeps quiet. And they look as Paul is being, he's, it says at some stage, his body is being pulled apart by the mob. And everybody keeps quiet. And the church looks by and just turns their head on Paul. You go like, Paul's got a point there, you know. I understand, Paul. I mean, it's like, and, I, and, and it's amazing the type of victimhoods and excuses that we will throw. I mean, if you would compare it to Paul's. And yet, somehow the devil has given a foothold that we give right to that thing. One thing I do. Can I just look? One thing I do. I will not look back. I will not take that excuses. I will not play a victim. Paul's like, he wants to come close to me. I will not. Oh, but it makes me feel so nice so that, that I understand. You know, the devil is a great sympathizer. He understands you. No, he's not always the accuser. He's the great sympathizer. It's so difficult to be alone, you know. Nobody understands me. Yes, I see that. It's hard for me to fellowship with other people, you know, because I'm like, yes, I see that. I understand. You do? <laughs> the devil has the ministry of compassion. 
He's a counselor like me, like few. Listen, I'm telling you. He understands you. And subtly just gets you to go. And Paul saw that one from far. You're coming close to me. Not coming close to me. All right. Okay. I press on towards the goal for the prize upward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, I need a few of the things here. Andrew, Andrew, you will be the guy. Denton, Yandre. I, you know, you don't, you're not a regular here, but I need you as well here. Would you guys please come and line up here? Stand, stand for me here. Um, like, stand back a row like this. Like, close to one another. Close to one another. Close to one another. <laughs> you know. I take hold, Paul says, I take hold, I press on. I press on to what Jesus has taken hold for me of. You know what Jesus has taken hold for me of? So before the foundation of the earth, the Father knew me, and he said, like, I want this man to know me, or woman. And then sin corrupt, corrupted it, but he's never forget, forgotten his dream. Not only that, he had a dream that he will and you would represent his son, Jesus. Go on to maturity. It was his dream. That you will express his son and that you will declare his goodness everywhere. It was his dream. And Jesus carried that dream. And so Jesus decided, I need to press on and take hold of the dream of the Father. There was a few obstacles, though. Imagine Jesus. Oh, I've been born into a major. I've not been important. I can't do this. You want me to be crucified? No. Sorry, Father. I can't do this. Get it. Imagine. There's a few obstacles that was before Jesus. Now, there's a few obstacles before you. Jesus has taken hold of something. You know, it says, yes, I can't see you guys. <laughs> Jesus says, or Paul says, 
I count all things are lost. I count all things for a lost. For the... No, no, they can stand here. I've got another shot. I count all things are lost. I count all things are lost for the surpassing value, for the surpassing value of knowing the Lord. I wonder what's the highest value in your life. If you are wondering about it, I can just look at your life and I'll see what's the highest value in your life. Give myself with everything to know Jesus. That's the highest. Paul says it's easy for me. The surpassing value. This is the highest value in my life. Oh, Paul is an apostle. He had a great ministry. That wasn't a high value for him. He was a, a, a writing apostles. No, no, no. That's nothing. Oh, my, the greatest thing that I give myself is knowing the Lord. Oh, it's difficult, man. You don't know my, my circumstance, my situation. You don't know. But Paul didn't have it. It's the greatest value. If anything stands in the way of that, it must go. I don't care what it is. It's the highest value that I have. I press on to take hold of maturity in the Lord. I can't just let go of certain issues in my life because it's difficult. It's like I can't. It's the highest value. I need to press on to maturity with everything that I have. It's the highest, highest value in life. But I know our life is difficult. You know? I, know, I know there's so many things that can give us excuses, right? This guy is softer. He has a bit more aggression here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pick my spots here. <laughs> right? And you know, there are certain things in our lives that I've seen you guys have fought for. Not that you don't know what to fight for. We've all fight for things in our lives. We've all sacrificed a lot in our lives to achieve something. I just want to know if you fought for the surpassing value, for the greatest, as for some of the other things that you fought for in your life. Some of the other things you're going to know, like, I don't care how, but I'm going to make a way to get there. Suddenly when it comes to the Lord, suddenly comes to that, to press on to the maturity. You know what we do? That's what I started doing. Jesus, just please take them away. Please take them away. Just a belief. Uh Uh-uh. You know, a, a, a couple of years ago, I, I felt the Lord spoke to me that I need to pray more. You know, but, but the passion was dead. So I said to the Lord, Lord, just restore this passion in me that I can pray. And I was very, very humble. I said, Lord, if you can't do it, I can't do this. You need to do it. And I hear it as clear as daylight. I just heard, just pray. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> And as I prayed, you won't believe it, the passion goes back. We're going to press on, guys. We're going to take responsibility for the dullness in our hearts and in our ears. We're going to take responsibility for the passion in our hearts. We're going to take responsibility for how far we have grown and how much we've given ourselves for it. We cannot be victims. One thing I do, I'm going to let go of this.
I wear my shirt now as Kyle does his. So. <laughs> There's only one difference. The Mount of Chester. <laughs> You'll get there, Kyle. You'll get there. <laughs> oh. All right. Guys, we're going to take communion. <laughs> you know what we remember in communion? <laughs> remember that he took hold of us, that he saw us, and he didn't play an excuse or a victim. If at all, take the cup away, but if you're not, I'm going to take hold of your heart's desire, Father, even though it take, if, even if I have to go to the cross. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. Remember his commitment. Remember that he took hold of the Father's heart and he pressed onto it. So if we take communion today, let's be thankful for what he has done for us. We press on to take hold of that. Maybe this morning as well, as we take hold and remember the commitment of God towards us and the covenant of God towards us, let us then. Let us then just maybe this morning say, Jesus, forgive me when I played victim. Forgive me when I played excuses. Father, I want to take hold of that which Jesus has taken hold of me. Amen?